do remember having problems with limping. My, I'd had a pain in my leg, a lump in my leg for a couple of weeks previous. And I just went to bed the next morning. I woke up and went to move my arm and my arm didn't seem to move. My brain was saying it had moved, but physically I hadn't moved. And it was really, really quite strange. And just as I was driving into Friday, I thought I went to lift my hand to turn the music up and realised that something else had gone wrong because I couldn't move my arm again. And the recovery I had had gone. And that was when I probably had my second stroke because there were two blood clots that were found. And I sort of dragged it into the uh, doctor's surgery. I knew that we were in Stamford Bridge. And the receptionist said, How can I help you? I said, Well, I'm not one of your patients, but. I think I'm having a stroke. And she went, how do you know you're having that? And I lifted up my hand and it just dropped onto the desk and her face went white. The stroke nurse was just walking off duty, overheard the conversation and said, right, I'll decide that. And she said, you and me, lift up your leg. And I couldn't lift up my leg. Drink of water and all the water came out of my mouth. And that was like, right, let's get you in. And after that, the complete blur. I was put on the acute stroke ward at York Hospital. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear. Welcome to Stroke Stories. This is the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Today we hear from Jeff Render in Bradford, who suffered a stroke at the age of 37. I was pretty healthy. I did triathlons. I was very, very busy. I worked as doing personal assistant work, support work, one-to-one, but mainly it was a challenge behaviour and support living services. The problem was that for a couple of years, I was doing a lot of commuting between Leeds and Scarborough because January 2013, my mum died. My dad, six months later, was in intensive care because he his liver had failed. While he was in hospital, he was still in the house, so I had to deal with all that. And he moved to the coast, to Scarborough, and I spent most of my the next couple of years travelling to and from Scarborough, bringing him to appointments back in Leeds or ranging his care. So it was a very, very stressful time. Although I was fit and active, it was a very, very stressful time. 28th of September, I got a phone call while I was doing a round. I was doing home care round and my dad had, had a fall and got stuck between a bed and a radiator and was badly burnt. So I got in the car, drove over to Scarborough, Sorted everything else out, made sure where he lived was okay. My grandma lived in Bridlington as well. So as I'm sorting everything else out, and it was the morning of the 30th, I do remember having problems with limping. I'd had a pain in my leg, a lump in my leg for a couple of weeks previous. And I just went to bed the next morning. I woke up and went to move my arm and my arm didn't seem to move. My brain was saying it had moved, but physically I hadn't moved. And it was really, really quite strange. But I got up, tried carrying on. My step-grandfather noticed something was wrong. A broken bone in my hand, but that was in my right hand. This was a left hand. So he was getting really quite worried. And I said, oh no, I've just trapped a nerve and I need to get to work. Dad's all sorted, relatives coming over, got in the car and drove from Bridlington to Friday Fop. And just as I was driving into Friday Fop, I went to lift my hand to turn the music up and realised that something else had gone wrong because I couldn't move my arm again. The recovery I had had gone. And that was when I probably had my second stroke because there were two blood clots that were found. 
and drove through the village and parked up, tried to wave traffic down. Nobody was stopping. The police car went straight past me. And I ended up having to get back in the car and drove to Stamford Bridge. And if anybody knows the East Coast Road, there's a very steep hill called Garibay Hill with an airpin bend at the bottom. So I somehow managed to drive through there with one arm not working. And by the time I got to Stamford Bridge, my left leg wasn't quite right. We're kicking it on and off the clutch as we were going through the village. And I parked up in a car park that I knew because I'd done that route many, many times. And got out of the car and was like, well, my foot doesn't feel right. And I sort of dragged it into the uh, doctor's surgery. I knew that we were in Stamford Bridge. And the receptionist said, how can I help you? I said, well, I'm not one of your patients, but I think I'm having a stroke. And she went, how do you know you're having that? And I lifted up my hand and it just dropped onto the desk and her face went white. And I went in the waiting, the waiting room. My doc- the doctor came eventually came and saw me, got an ambulance. What was one of the strange things was I tried to ring two friends and they didn't answer the phone. So I sent them a text message and they knew something was wrong because they could read my, they could actually read it and I put some dyslexic and the full stops and commas in it. And it was like, it's like somebody else had taken over. So that was one of the strange things that happened after the stroke. Got me to the hospital and the ambulance was, paramedics was saying, you've not had a stroke, you're too young. And it was because a stroke nurse was just walking off duty, overheard the conversation and said, right, I'll decide that. And she said, you and me, lift up your leg. And I couldn't lift up my leg. Drink of water and all the water came out of my mouth. And that was like, right, let's get you in. And after that, it was a complete blur. I was put on the acute stroke ward at York Hospital. Jeff spent three days in hospital. The only time I saw a physio walked in, I went, oh, you can walk. And walked off. Yeah, I can walk up two steps. Big wow. I live on top of a very steep hill and uh, I have to get in and out of my house of a flight of stairs. It's not until you come out of hospital that the real world is. And OT spent five minutes doing mirror therapy and that was about it. That's all I had while I was in. I refused the porters to push me down. They walked down with me because I refused my chair. Though I did fall asleep when I was having another brain scan, I fell asleep in the machine, which did cause a bit of concern. But yeah, I was so stubborn while I was in there, I refused to let them cook my food up or anything. I think I was a bit of a nightmare patient. The outreach nurse centre was only literally a few hundred yards up a hill, but I was sort of like in the denial of what was going on and how it affected me. My body didn't feel as it was, but I thought it'd be just a blip. Obviously, you know, now with that seven years down the line, it wasn't a blip. I'm still living with effects every day. But I only saw the community nurse two, three times. But there's a very limited they could do in the six weeks that they to see me. So my sort of case, it's usually about a year afterwards where the support would have been needed, but it wasn't there. So luckily I had friends that kept checking on me and made sure I was did shopping and everything else for me and made sure I wasn't isolated. So that was one of the good things. I have quite a good support network. I do suffer from chronic fatigue. So fatigue is a big part of my life and having to operate everything around my fatigue. I have memory issues. I'm brilliant pub, pub quizzes, but the tiny little details that we have, I have to do with so many different ways of managing how to remember to do stuff and appointments. I very rarely miss appointments. 
and quite very organised, which is very exhausting, but very positive. And I tend to organise other people quite well because of it. Done athletics since, and I've been a manager on the day, making sure everybody's in the right place at the right time, and so that and there's no arguing. You you do do it. So those skills are transferable over. But fatigue, I have some issues down my left side, so my hand is affected. Free my fingers don't work very well, and I've feelings don't feel right, and same down my left leg from the knee downwards. I have a splint on my leg and I have orthotics in my shoes now. And when I didn't have them, I did have a couple of falls this year because it took a while before that got sorted. So fatigue, memory loss, mainly cognitive. And there's always something that comes up. So it does seem to be a constant adapting to, because there's so many different environments. Coming up, Jeff talks about dealing with fatigue. I do suffer from chronic fatigue. So fatigue is a big part of my life and having to operate everything around my fatigue. I have memory issues. I'm brilliant pub, pub quizzes, but the tiny little details that we have, I have to do with so many different ways of managing how to remember to do stuff. And maintaining his fitness. When I do go do parkrun and I do jog, I tend to have a guide because they can make the decisions for me rather than me right, trying to get past people and not backing off and trying to where I'm going and all those decisions. So it's good to hand, I don't like doing it, but sometimes you have to hand over the decisions to make things a lot easier for myself. Let's hear from Jeff about how he manages life after stroke. I learn a lot of coping strategies all the time and people rather have learned to let me get on with it rather than trying to interfere and that helps a lot with uh, my new career because I'm now a swimming teacher and one of them is in a very small pool where I can just manage everything I don't have that noise and I work in another pool which is just two of us and people just let me learn to adapt to the and not overwhelm me so I have problems remembering all the children's names, never mind how good or what they need working on. So the parents are generally quite good at just letting me get on with um, with it. I, it's not like, there's only four children in, in a class at one of the places and only two at the other. I work for different strokes now and that's involved with the ISDN. And the good thing is that we've now got, uh, I can do a lot of it via Zoom which helps a lot, as well as going out in person. But even when I go out to anywhere new, I have to make sure there's parking spaces available. So, and I know I plan how to get there. I have annoying habit of being very early for appointments because I don't want to be stressed and I need time to recover before I go into any appointment. So there's all those strategies on an every day-to-day basis. There's lots of different things from stress to making sure stuff is done. More of it is lack of control of the environment. So I hate supermarkets, but I prefer to go do the supermarket. So I'm very selective in which shops go to. And I was in a supermarket yesterday and the noise was so, and the colours and the machines weren't working. And it's like, just get me out of here. Yeah, I can go into another supermarket and it's a lot more spaced out. There's not the colours and, you know, it depends on, I've learned that certain places, like certain places to avoid and certain places to go to. So 
I can't, I can't go to the, the local supermarket where I live because it's not designed well for my needs. Where I go to, the, there's a, one a bit further away, which is a lot bigger, and it works a lot better how it's set out. And it's not as stressful going to. So it's learning all those where to go, where not to go. I do park run, and the certain park runs I would not go to because I found them too busy. And when I do go do park run and I do jog, I tend to have a guide because they can make the decisions for me rather than me right, trying to get past people and not backing off and trying to where I'm going and all those decisions. So it's good to hand. I don't like doing it, but sometimes you have to hand over decisions to make things a lot easier for myself. Jeff has also really benefited from a close network of friends and co-workers. Spotting works come in different ways. So I have work colleagues that know how to not overwhelm me and how to work with me. It takes time for people to learn and adapt. One of my closest friends after my stroke still can't handle my, my stroke. And he doesn't know how to make adaptions for me. Where another friend, he knows all about it and he can tell when I'm going to get fatigue well before I get fatigue. And he goes, yes, that place might might not be good for you. Or even down to when I've done a park run, he's found out the best parking place for me and put a pin on the map. It's all those little things that people can that know me can help and adapt. I am an expert by experience at Bradford University. So I'm like... I'm teaching future professionals on how to work with stroke survivors. And even then, part of my education is then making adaptions for me to make it easier. And it's trying to find those adaptions now to manage the adaptions. Don't be afraid to try new things, but also things won't work out because we're not in a perfect world and things change all the time. But don't be afraid to try and work things out and reflect but reflect positively, not negatively, and then move forward, which is easier said than done. But it's trying to be positive and trying to find positives out of negative situations. Listen and do the same, try and find the adaptions, but let them know that they're in charge, but be there to support them to get themselves back on track because... I know like when I've had emotional ability, that's when I sort of get overwhelmed and stressed and it's how to calm it down and reason with me and how to get back and be more positive. So it's try and work, work through things and be patient to work through things and not to say no to people and let them try different things because I've done a lot of things post-stroke from the sports side of things with athletics, triathlons, and there's been adaptions and how I manage it. Let the person talk it through to you as well. Be a team rather than making the person feel isolated. After just three days in hospital, Jeff was left to recover on his own. But thanks to a great deal of support from family and friends, he's made great progress and is now back at work. Thank you very much for listening and supporting Stroke Stories. You can subscribe and rate and comment. And if you don't mind doing that, that really will help us spread the word. And if you are a stroke survivor or you know of somebody who has a story to share, please get in touch via our DMs on Twitter or Instagram. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.